Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network comes Gamblers Season 2. Listen now. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After the C's tonight, beat the Clippers 116 to 110. We'll get to that game in a second. John Jastrzemski, JJ from New York, New York, of course, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Super Dolphins fan, okay? Super fan Dolphin guy, JJ, is going to join us in just a little bit. We'll break down this Patriots-Dolphins game coming up on Sunday, which I actually feel pretty good about. I'll get into that in a little bit, but I do want to get into the Celtics game real quickly, and then I want to get into, since it's our last show of the year, because of course we'll have a podcast up for you on Sunday after the Patriots and the Dolphins, but that'll be in 2023. So I want to do a state of the franchise for each team here locally in just a bit here. But real quickly on the Celtics tonight, they of course beat the Clippers by six points, Tatum and Brown. I felt this was an important game for them because last time when they played the Clippers in LA, George and Kawhi outplayed Tatum and Brown. If you look at that game, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard combined for 51. Tatum and Brown were bad in that game, 41. Tatum was really bad in that game. Tonight, they were both really good. They combined for 58 points and George and Kawhi for 50. So you love to see that, just that your two superstars played better than the two superstars on the other side. If you're looking for motivation throughout the season, the fact that this team beat you and the fact that you guys are similar, right? It's two wing guys. I love the fact that the Celtics bounce back and those two guys in particular bounce back. Smart was really good tonight, 17-9-2. I felt early in this game he really got things going for the Celtics where he found Jalen on a nice back cut and then he had a nice spin move and a finish. Out of the first eight baskets in this game, Smart had three assists and two made baskets. So he was really good getting this team going, facilitating, and then he took the charge late on Paul George, which is great to see as well. And then Derek White. Now, I know I got into him in greater detail and I won't go into it for a long time in terms of, I talked about him on Tuesday, but you look at his numbers in this game. He's six of eight from the field. He has 15 points. He has four rebounds. He has two blocks. And he had an unbelievable block at the end of the game on Paul George with about 40 seconds left where this guy led the NBA, or I should say he was second among guards last year in block shots. And you just saw that again, he's just such a heady player. And whenever he's on the court, good things happen for the Celtics. And then one thing that stuck out to me is, you had a challenge from Damon Stoudemire, who was coaching again for Joe Missoula, and they wanted to review Jalen's fifth foul. It was on Marcus Morris in terms of Marcus Morris trying to take a charge. They give the charge to Marcus Morris. But anyway, so Damon Stoudemire pulls Jalen out, and the team they put out on the court, it was Derek White, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, 
Grant Williams and Robert Williams. And I'm just watching that unit out there and I'm thinking, who are you attacking? What guy are you going after? And the answer was nobody. You can't attack any of those guys. It was another nice game from Rob. Not the same impact that he had last time out, but 12 and 6 in just 21 minutes. His block on Zubak was just ridiculous where he got him from behind. And you just look at some of the other stuff like the offensive rebound after a missed three-pointer, then kicks it out to Tatum. Tatum gets an easy finish. And then at one point in the fourth quarter, it's 88-87. And Jalen Brown just sees that Rob Williams has deep post position. And he doesn't even like throw him a traditional pass into the post. He just tosses it up in the air and Rob goes up and jumps over the defender, gets it, and then jumps up again and dunks it. It just kind of shows you the ridiculous athleticism this guy has. And then as it pertains to Tatum, who outplayed Kawhi in this game after Kawhi had outplayed him, 12 in the second quarter. That was the big thing for Tatum. When they needed Tatum, it was actually in the second quarter and he was phenomenal in this situation. I do give Damon Stoudemire credit for this. I thought ordinarily they bring Tatum back in the fourth because he plays the whole third ordinarily, but they usually bring him back sooner than the seven-minute mark in the fourth quarter, and it felt like they were waiting on Kawhi to come back in. So it almost felt like he was toying with Ty Lue, who's one of the better coaches in the NBA. So he didn't bring Tatum back until they brought Kawhi back because the Celtics with Jalen Brown and not Tatum and the Clippers with George but not Kawhi, the Celtics had the advantage there. Right off the start of the fourth quarter, they outscored them 10-5. to So I thought that was really smart by Damon Stoudemire, just saying like, I know we need Tatum out there, but if they don't have Kawhi out there, let's wait because we're outplaying him. So I thought that was really smart. So just in terms of this game in general, nice win for the Celtics, professional win for the Celtics, and a bounce back after they had lost to this Clippers team in LA. But I do want to get to my state of the franchise. So this is the end of the year. So I'm going to power rank how I feel about each franchise from best to worst as we enter 2023. Okay, so number one on my list is the Celtics. Now, the reason I put the C's over the B's is I just feel like the Celtics window is wide open, right? They're on the runway right now. Tatum's in his 24-year-old season. Jalen is in his 26-year-old season. And yes, the B's have some young studs. Pasta is 26. You still need to get him signed, by the way. McAvoy, and they will. I'm not worried about that, but he's going to get a massive contract. McAvoy's 25, but you're talking about Marshan is 34. Bergeron's 37. Krejci's 36. So they've done a better job finding the bridge guys between the young players and the older guys. That's something they were missing for a couple of years. Lindholm is 29. Even Hall is 31. So they've done a better job with that. But the point is, the core is older. And yes, they're the better team right now in terms of where they're at in their league compared to where the Celtics are at. But if you just look at that sport, it's much easier to see an upset in the postseason, right? I mean, just think about the 19 Blues. The Lightning were the best team of the NHL that year. They lose in the first round. So we've seen upsets more often in the NHL than we do in the NBA, right? But when you look at this, I just feel like Tatum and Brown in the next three years, I would be surprised if they don't get a championship, wouldn't you? Something would have had to have gone terribly wrong for these guys. Like if the Bruins don't win the cup, it would not be as nearly as shocking for them to not win it compared to the Celtics over this next couple of years, right? And even though there's a ton of pressure on the Celtics, right, if they lose in a tough fashion again, like they did to the Golden State Warriors, you're not going to be like, man, that was our best shot. We don't have another chance in the next two to three years. With the Bruins, you may really feel that way. If they don't win the Stanley Cup this year, even though the team is loaded, you may feel like, oh man, this is our shot to do it. And you wouldn't have that feeling with the Celtics. That's sort of why I feel better about the state of the Celtics and the state of the Bruins. It's not an indictment on the Bruins. You have the best team in the NBA and the best team in the NHL. I just feel like it's more difficult to win. There's more things at play when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs compared to the NBA, where ordinarily the best team wins. But anyway, here's one of the big things that has me feeling optimistic about this team. They're all locked up with the exception of Grant, who's going to be a restricted free agent. Horford signed through 24-25. Tatum 24-25, then the player option. Jalen has next year, but he's going to get extended this offseason. Derek White through 24-25. Robert Williams through 25-26 on a ridiculous contract. Bargain deal that they got. Brogdon through 24-25. And Smart through 25-26. So you have stability. No one is really playing for a contract either, right? With the exception of Grant, but it's not like Grant's playing out of character. He's improved this season, but it's not like he's taking too many shots. In fact, at times, I'd like Grant to shoot more, right? Everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. Brad's done an outstanding job, too, building around the stars. And there's a clear-cut pecking order with this team. Brogdon is in a better role as a bench guy. Derek White's usage is down. And I was talking about him earlier. He's gone from 18.2% to 15.6% in terms of his usage rate. Less is more with Derek White. 
So he's not having to do much of the playmaking. It's actually really helped him. I mean, knock on wood, it seems like we're at a spot where at least they figured out the knee situation with Robert Williams, where can you get a couple of healthy years with him? Like, you're always going to be concerned about his health, but I feel like keep the minutes down. And the other thing with Rob is I would continue to bring him off the bench because I think he gives you more energy that way. I think the lower minutes actually help Robert Williams. And secondarily, it's kind of, I don't can't believe I'm saying this, but after the surgery, ordinarily it doesn't work this way. He seems more athletic right now. And the most important thing to me right now is the trust of the front office to make the right moves, right? Obviously, I shouldn't say the most important thing. The most important thing is you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But I just feel like Brad Stevens, I trust he's going to do the right thing. He brought in Derek White. He brought in Brogdon. He brought in Al. I just feel like if you're looking at the way to feel about this team going forward, I trust the front office, right? And secondly, as we mentioned, the MVP caliber player and Jason Tatum coming in to his prime. So the state of the franchise for the Seas is right now, this is just the start. And remember, most teams go through this. The Pistons had to go through the Celtics. Remember, in terms of they had the difficult loss, they're all coming together. The Pistons then got over the hump, they beat the Celtics. I'm talking about the 80s Pistons. The Bulls, they had to get through the Pistons, which they eventually did with Michael Jordan and company. So sometimes you have to go through this adversity to get things done. And after what we've seen through the first, what, 36 games of the season, the rest of the league, what it looks like, I believe the Celtics are winning it this year. I believe they're the most talented team. They're the deepest team. And I told you, the Bucks are not the same team. We saw that on Christmas Day. Philly has playoff Harden and playoff Doc Rivers. You're not trusting that. The Cavs have no wings. And then the Nets, yeah, they're playing great, but they don't have defenders. And there is not like this incredible force out West. I actually would not want to see the Clippers if the Celtics make the finals. I just feel like they have so many wing guys where they give you trouble. It's kind of like the two teams I don't want to see in the playoffs. The Magic, I don't want to see that team. Not that they're going to be there because they just have a bunch of guys that defend well against the Celtics. And I don't want to see the Clippers. But I just feel like this year is showing you everything that the Celtics said before the season where they were pissed off. We're seeing all that. So just to put the bow on the Celtics conversation, the state of the franchise is the duck boats are coming. Okay, that's the state of the Celtics. The duck boats are coming. I believe it's happening this year, but if it doesn't, it's going to happen in the next two to three years. Okay, on to the bees. So right now they're a wagon entering Thursday. The bees are seven points clear of anyone else. Their goal differential is a plus 57. That's 27 goals better than anybody else, by the way, which is just amazing to think about. And this has been the biggest surprise to me here locally since the 2013 Red Sox. So sure, the Isaiah Thomas Celtics were fun. And you had that team that lost Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. That was fun. That went to the conference finals. But the 13 Red Sox team, I still don't know how they did it. You had Ellsbury and you had Pedroia as your homegrown studs. Ellsbury had a good year. Pedroia hit over 300. And Ortiz was really the guy that carried that lineup, especially into the postseason where in the World Series, he was just tremendous. But then the rest of the team was just a bunch of random veterans, right, where you're trying to get back to respectability after they flamed out the chicken and beer year and then they finish in last place. But it's Stephen Drew. It's Johnny Gomes who we had on the podcast. That was a lot of fun. Shane Victorino, the Mike Napoli's, Jared Saltalamacchia. Like you didn't have any name brand guys that you brought over on short term deals. And this Bruins team, I thought they would be good, right? And. Look, it took me a long time to buy into that Red Sox team, even though like all the evidence was in front of me. They kept winning. They were winning like every series. But it took me a while to completely buy into that team with the Bruins team. You're already there. Like I told you, if the bees were going to be slightly overrated or if the bees are going to slightly overachieve, I should say, I could have seen that. But to turn this team into a team that is on pace for the most points in NHL history and the most wins in NHL history, nobody saw that coming. And everything sort of fits right now with this team, right? So Lindholm is a legit Norris Trophy candidate. Pasternak could be in the running for the Hart Trophy. Now, he's six in points entering Thursday. McDavid is way ahead of the field. But the problem is McDavid, his team doesn't even have a wild card spot right now. So even if they get in, let's say the Oilers get one of the wild card spots, but Pasta creeps into the top five, which he definitely will in terms of points. At least that's my prediction. And you have a team that's on record-breaking pace, even if they don't get the record, but they're still well over 100 points. The goal differential is way better than anybody else. I think Pasta will have a real case for the MVP. Olmark right now leading the league in goals against and in save percentage. So he's the leading candidate for the Vesna. So the Bees right now, they're tied, by the way, for the best odds to win the cup. So they have the best team. The biggest difference to me is just the depth that they haven't had in previous years where you have a legit Hart Trophy winner, a former MVP in Taylor Hall on your third line, and then just adding another top-tier defenseman like you did last year at the deadline in Lindholm to McAvoy. So we're enjoying the ride, and I really believe 
despite the Mitchell Miller situation, Don Sweeney has done a really good job in terms of the past few years. The Hall trade, the Lindholm trade, the Olmark pickup, even the Forbert signing, he's been really good for you. Of course, bringing in Jim Montgomery to replace Cassidy when that was not a decision that was well-received here. So you're really good with where you're at in terms of this Bruins team right now. So here's the state of the franchise to me. Make the ride worth it, okay? Because the ride becomes a lot less magical if they come up short. And I would just love to see Bergeron get another one, Krejci get another one, Pasta get his first, and Marshawn get another one as well. So just finish the job. If they can finish the job, it'll make this season seem so much sweeter. All right, now on to the Red Sox. I have them third on this list. So the reason I have the Sox in front of the Patriots is we've seen the Sox win championships with three different managers, Tito, Farrell, and Cora. We've seen the Red Sox win with three different general managers, Theo, Sherrington, and Dave Dombrowski. So we've seen Belichick and the Patriots win shit without Tom Brady. Bill is 78 and 86 without Tom in his career. So I don't know if Bill can ever turn this team back into a contender. I don't know. Maybe he can eventually, but I do know this. I do know if the Sox eventually move on from High and Bloom, they could win again. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with different GMs throughout the years, right? But I will say this. I've never been less confident in this Red Sox team. Now, remember, I don't go back to the misery. I go back to the early 2000s. I've never felt as bad as I do right now as a Red Sox fan. This is really bleak. And I really believe ownership has to look at this and say, Do we need to make a change like they've done it in the past? Do we need to make a change in terms of the guy running the organization just for the sake of this Heimblum conversation? Think about this for a second. As it stands right now, this is what the Red Sox lineup looks like entering the season. Yoshida, Turner, and this is just me guessing what the lineup will be. I know they liked it, Rafi, second, but I'm alternating lefties and righties. Yoshida, Turner, Rafi, Story, Tristan Cassis, Kike Hernandez, Verdugo, Arroyo, and Reese McGuire. So that gives you the left, right, left, right, left, right. Anybody scared of that lineup? Now, if Bogarts was in there, you'd feel a lot different because you've got a couple of guys like Yoshida doesn't strike out, Turner's a good guy in terms of he doesn't strike out a lot, and Cassis entering his second year, you'd feel a lot better about this team, and of course with Rafael Devers, but that's not an intimidating lineup whatsoever. Think about this for a second. Here's a lineup of guys that Bloom has either traded away or decided not to bring back. Mookie? Schwarber, Bogarts, JD, Benintendi, Renfro, and Vasquez. Okay, now I get it. That's not a full lineup. That's seven guys. But let's just say for the sake of conversation, throw Iglesias, throw Chavis in there, throw Arauz in there, somebody along those lines to fill out the bottom two because the top seven are good enough, right? And I get it's right-handed heavy. But Bogarts, you would take over anybody in this lineup besides Devers. Mookie, you would take over every everyone in this lineup. You have Renfro and Schwarber that both provide power. You take Schwarber's power numbers over anybody on the Red Sox. Rafi's a more complete hitter, but in terms of the home runs, Schwarber had the second most home runs in all of Major League Baseball, and he walks all the time. He would have been a perfect fit to keep here. But the point being is this. How do you make decisions like this over and over again? How do you constantly give away or not bring back elite players? It just feels like Heim Bloom is completely in over his head. Now, they added Kluber. He's a guy that's an innings eater at this point in his career. He was healthy last year. So, okay, he's a back into the rotation guy. Now, just to put the metric man hat on for a second here with him, just 125 in-zone swings and misses last year. That was 40th of 45 qualifiers. So he's not missing bats anymore at this point in his career. Good thing is he doesn't walk anybody. Best walk rate in baseball, 3.0% last year among starters. ERA was not great, 434. So you didn't add a front-end guy. You added a back-end guy which you needed the opposite of that. You didn't need depth to the pitching staff. You needed a frontline starter. And look, Avaldi was offered three years by the Red Sox. Chad Jennings had that reporting and he took two with Texas instead. So it's tough for me to really get on Haim about that one. Now, I would rather have Avaldi, but it's tough for me to blame Haim when we know that Chad Jennings had the report Avaldi was offered three years here with the Red Sox. But my point about this is with Nate, even Nate was going to be a risk if you brought him here because of his injury history. Why weren't you in the market for elite starters? We all think the Red Sox need an elite starter. Apparently, they don't. I don't know how they came to that rational conclusion, right? So my whole point is he's just building a team right now, the team that he has on paper. What's the ceiling? Mediocre. That's it. Well, he continues to get rid of star players. He continues to bring in mediocre players. I don't understand what the idea, what the identity of the team is. I don't know what the goal is. So I just don't know why I should believe that Bloom is going to dig this organization 
out of the place it's in right now, especially after this offseason. Like, I have less confidence in Heim Bloom after this offseason. How could you not, right? So the state of the Red Sox right now, state of the organization, surprise everybody, right? Overachieve this year, make it into the postseason, or walk the plank. If this team misses the postseason, Bloom's gone. No way around it. How could you bring him back? He's proven, okay, he can build a farm system. That's great. But the major league team is also part of your job description. And what Heim Bloom has done with the major league team is, quite frankly, embarrassing. All right, so that brings us to the Patriots. So as I mentioned, it's easier for the Sox to fix their issues in the Patriots. You get a great GM, you sign some young stars, sign some stars, you're back. But how about the Pats? This is a mess. Think about what you need. <laughs> a play caller, a number one receiver. I would be calling about Adams, Devontae Adams out there with the Raiders if he's really that pissed. I would call about Jerry Judy as well, though he's defending Russell Wilson if they're available. You need a number one guy. And C, you need a rebuilt offensive line. That's a lot to ask for in terms of your offense, right? And that's before we even get to the question of the quarterback. Now, I've said that he needs more help, and I'll stick to that. But the ineptitude of the play caller and the lack of weapons, we don't know if the quarterback's that good, right? And so that's a massive problem. If Mac isn't the franchise guy, then you have to start all over again in the next few years. And look, if you look at Mac, since he got his job back week eight, I took out the Bears game because he only played three series. So if you take out that Monday night game, he is last in expected points added per play among qualified quarterbacks. He is last in success rate among qualified quarterbacks since he started again in week eight. So I think at best, Mac Jones is the 10th best quarterback in the league if everything is perfect for him. And he's somewhere on average between 10 and 20. And that's even me being somewhat polite. I never see him getting to that top 10 criteria, if you will. And if the roster isn't a wagon, like we see with San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo, then what's the point of having Mac Jones, right? That's when you're supposed to be winning right now when the quarterback's on his rookie deal. Look at what the Bengals did in year two with Burrow. Heck, look at what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. Now, I know that Foles ultimately won that Super Bowl in Wentz's second year, but he was the leader for the MVP of the NFL in his second year. That Eagles team was loaded. Look at what the Eagles are doing right now with Carson Wentz, where they have a loaded roster with the Devontae Smiths, the A.J. Browns of the world. That defense is really good. Look at what the Chiefs did with Mahomes in year two. This is when it's supposed to be it's easiest to build a winner because the quarterback isn't costing you a lot and the Patriots aren't doing that. Where are they? And that's when I just, I look at this team and I wonder, what are they going to do long term? And the fact that this team doesn't have a great roster right now is just unfortunate because this is an advantage that all these teams in the NFL have had in the past. And the Patriots are now in sort of the camp of you didn't take advantage of the rookie contract, right? And that the that's the part to me that's the most disappointing. I always wanted to see Bill, not that I didn't want to continue to watch Tom Brady, but I always wanted to see what could he do with the rookie quarterback in terms of a guy on a rookie contract. And the answer is not much right now. So that brings me to this game Sunday. There is so much pressure on Bill. They're down to their backup quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. So, and I'll get into that more in greater detail in terms of the greater Boston better the week, which we do every week. But you had the horrible Raiders loss. You had the fumble late last week. You lose to a backup quarterback this week. That would be a joke if that happens to the Patriots. Three straight losses and you lose to Teddy Bridgewater. So the state of the franchise to me with the Patriots is time to overhaul this thing. Patricia's got to go. You got to rebuild the offensive line. And Bill's got to wake up and spend money or trade for a wide receiver because you're not helping the quarterback nearly enough. They took a step backwards this year. And it's on the guy running the team and Bill Belichick. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but this is on Bill. All right, a lot more to get into. Coming up next, we'll chat with John Jastrzemski from the Ringer Podcast Network, New York, New York. My buddy JJ will preview this Dolphins game because he is a huge Dolphins fan. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, 
visit jiffylube.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, it is JJ John Dostremski, you know, I'm host of New York, New York on the Ringer Podcast Network. Also, we should mention super Dolphins fan. Okay, so we're getting ready for the Patriots and the Dolphins coming up this week. JJ's coming to us from S&Y tonight. He's all over the place. I know you're at the Pinstripe Bowl earlier, which was not good for our orange JJ, but how are you, my friend? Well, it was good from our wallet standpoint because Syracuse <laughs> did find a way to backdoor cover 10 and a half points, which Brian, by the way, was significant to some. And I'm doing all right, man. I feel like I've been running around the tilt world with all the things we've been doing. We taped New York, New York a few moments ago. I'm here at SNY. But this spot is near and dear to my heart because on New York, New York, I didn't get much of an opportunity to talk about Dolphins Patriots. On SNY, I'm not going to get much of an opportunity to talk about Dolphins and Patriots. And this is the game that's near and dear to my heart. But Brian, I am I am crushed. I am devastated about the state of my football team and where I was when I was down in South Florida back in late November and our conversation that we had back at the beginning of the year yeah. and where I am right now. Bro, I feel like a beaten man when it comes to my team. Yeah, and look, I mean, this team was rolling, right? I mean, they were 3-0. and They lose to the Bengals, and Tua has to leave with the concussion. They lose back-to-back games after that. Then Tua comes back. They rip off five straight. But now a four-game losing streak. Tua's out again with a concussion. And as you mentioned, it's a roller coaster. So the state of the Dolphins fan right now, JJ, like you went from feeling like, okay, we have our franchise quarterback in Tua, and now there are at least some questions there from a health perspective. I mean, this is three concussions in a year for your starting quarterback. And it felt like this team at the beginning of the season, after you watched the first three weeks, I felt this way. This is a lock. Mike McDaniel, what an outstanding job he's done there. He's going to be in the running for the coach of the year. But what's the state of the fan base right now, man? So they're very torn. And I think you hit on a lot of important facts regarding the roller coaster of this season. Tua was playing the best football of his career. Mike McDaniel unleashed something in him. Confidence, being able to push it down the field. Adding Tyreek Hill, adding Jalen Waddell. They were 8-3, and three, all right? They lose to San Francisco. No big deal. San Francisco's got the best defense in the NFL. The Charger game was hideous, hideous. But they were 8-3. and three. They lose two in a row, all right? No big deal. The Buffalo game, Brian, I know it was a loss, but you kind of came away watching that game saying, hey, Miami went to 20-degree temperatures, played with them, was right there. The game came down to a final field goal, and I like where the Dolphins are at heading into their final three games. That all went out the window in the second half of the game against the Green Bay Packers. And I tweeted out right after the game, right after two or through his third interception, that he's the two that stole Christmas. I mean, he ruined my Christmas, for goodness sakes. <laughs> and now I feel bad, quite frankly, because I think it's as clear as day, yeah. Tua was playing with a concussion throughout the entire second half, and maybe it makes a little bit more sense some of those ill-advised, hideous throws that he was making at the end of that ball game. But yeah, I, I think the Dolphins have firepower. I, I think they're a talented offensive team. But my hopes for being a team with a young quarterback going into the playoffs that was going to challenge has kind of gone out the window. And now I'm at the point, Brian, where I just I, I just don't want the Jets and the Patriots to get in. That's, I mean, really. Like, I, the Dolphins have no chance of playing <laughs> with, with Kansas City or Buffalo or Cincinnati if, if you're telling me Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starting quarterback for the remainder of the year. But I still want to be in the playoffs. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I'm grasping, man. I'm not going to lie. I'm grasping. Well, I'll tell you this from a Patriots perspective. I've never felt worse during the Belichick era, right? Because even if you go back to the Cam Newton year, it's like you knew that wasn't the quarterback. Eventually, you were going to replace Cam Newton. He was filling in for a year, and then you were going to try to hopefully find your franchise quarterback. And Matt comes off a decent rookie season. Nobody was saying that he's the next Tom Brady, but you felt like, okay, this guy's pretty good. And now you look at this year, you have legitimate questions about the future of the quarterback. Matt Patricia needs to go. I mean, this guy is the worst play caller I have ever seen. I mean, he is just, he's actually, somehow he's getting worse as the season goes on. You'd think, okay, at least he'll get a little bit of, no, it's actually gone in the opposite direction. 
And then you think about all the stuff this team needs. They need a number one weapon. At least the Dolphins have, basically, they have two number one weapons when you're talking they have about. two as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Because yeah, Waddle, awesome. Waddle is awesome. Waddle's awesome. Yeah, that guy's an absolute stud. And you look at the Patriots, they don't really have that guy. We found out last week their best receiver wasn't playing all season. They weren't playing Kendrick Bourne because he was late to a meeting early in the year. And Matt Patricia just kept him in the doghouse. And the offensive line sucks. So that's where we're at in the Belichick era. The defense is great, but you're like wasting a good year of defense. So... I understand where the Dolphins fan is at, but you got to have some satisfaction, right? Being a Dolphins fan or even your listeners, the people in New York, they got to be excited just seeing like where the Patriots are at right now. Like if they could have easily beat the Raiders, they could have easily won that game last week where you fumble on the five yard line. Like this is shit the Patriots never did before, JJ. You hit on it. And I heard Zolak say this as I'm watching that Raider Patriot game because they played the call over again and again and again. And oh, yeah, I love that. That was awesome. Game I've, he goes, this is the dumbest team I've ever seen, you know? And it's, <laughs> it, he, he's a thousand percent right. Like, these are the things that us common folk are not used to seeing from the New England Patriots. Bad penalties, stupid mistakes, special team snafus, turnovers, inexplicable plays at inexplicable times last week. And I was watching your game very intently. The Patriots normally win that game when Cincinnati is up 22 to nothing and they're giving you the game on a silver platter. That's normally when the Patriots walk right through the door, they steal the game and everybody's looking around saying Patriots are at it again. How in the world did they find a way to do it? This team has lacked that all year. Clearly now, I think your points on where the Dolphins are at and where the Jets are at, it's fair because there's more of a baseline of talent, I think, with each of those two teams. But, Brian, let's be honest. Those two hideous losses for the Jets with Zach Wilson at quarterback, the Marcus Jones punt return game, and the game at MetLife Stadium where Zach Wilson basically gave the game to the Patriots, that might be the difference in the Jets making a miss in the postseason. So, I think there's a lot of lament there, though, too. Like, mm-hmm. I know there is from a Miami standpoint. I think there is, too, from a Jets standpoint. And I know you can make that argument, too, with the Patriots. That's the way the life goes in the NFL. Could have won this game. Could have won that game. And it kind of evens out. And normally, even over 17 or 18 weeks, we figure out, all right, who's real and who's not. But there was a fear factor for a long time about going to New England and playing the Patriots and the aura and the mystique and and everything that they would provide. Lost a little of it when Tom Brady leaves. That may be true. But a lot of that now, it is completely gone with the New England Patriots. I mean, that's just all there is to it. Well, and you look, there's no way around it. Belichick's been exposed since Brady left. There's no way around it. I mean, I give Belichick more credit for the first three, but the second three, that's more about Tom. And since Tom has left, he hasn't found, A, a competent replacement, but B, hasn't put in good enough roster around Mac to even get an accurate assessment of what the guy is. The roster is so bad. The offensive coaching is so bad that I'm not the biggest Mac fan in the world, but I can even look at this and say, well, you need to give him more pieces. Like think about the Tua situation, right? We saw all when he gets Tyree kill when he gets Jalen Waddle, this guy can be pretty productive. Mac Jones is out here with Jacoby Myers. Like he's a nice number two, number three option. The Devante Parkers of the world who the Dolphins in your division didn't even want anymore because they felt like they had receivers that were better. And that's where you're judging Mac. So it has been a frustrating season from that perspective as well. But I want to get your take on Bridgewater because some of the stuff I look at, I don't think he's the best fit for Mike McDaniel because Mike McDaniel wants to get rid of the ball quickly. And Tua, he was leading the NFL in terms of the average depth of target. So he's actually throwing the ball down the field somewhat. He's getting rid of the ball quickly. Bridgewater, more of a guy that, for lack of a better term, kind of got a noodle arm, likes to hold on to the ball, doesn't like to take a lot of risks. How do you feel about Bridgewater starting in this game against the Patriots? Not great. Uh, First of all, I have respect for the New England defense. They played well. I even thought going back to week one against the Miami Dolphins, aside from that Jalen Waddle touchdown. Oh, yeah, the Bridgewater. Yeah, I mean, which ended up being a killer and was the turning point in the game, which feels like another lifetime ago. But number two, Bridgewater, not enough of a sample size this year. You know, he played the Jet game, gets knocked out on the first play. The Viking game, he comes in, he wasn't supposed to start. The Bengal game, he comes in. That was the Tua concussion game. Wasn't supposed to start. I almost want to give him a little bit of a pass for that. Mm -hmm. I think you hit on a lot of different things. Look. He's not a great fit for McDaniel's system, but you have Tyree Kill 
and you have Jalen Waddle. Those guys, assuming you have a clean pocket, they're going to be open. You're going to be able to make plays if you can go and make a couple of throws. Bridgewater's got to be able to push the ball down the field. I know it's not his strength. I know it's not what he wants to do. That's where you got opportunities to go and make some plays. Uh, if there's one thing I do like from a Dolphins standpoint, Brian, for whatever the reason, when Teddy Bridgewater is a road underdog, he's cash money when it comes to Whoa. covering point spreads. Yeah, uh, there's two interesting trends in the NFL this week. I don't know if they're going to hit. I mean, take it for what it's worth. Bridgewater is like 11 or 12 over 500 as a road underdog, which he will be. Uh, Patriots are minus two and a half against the Miami Dolphins. And any team that has played the San Francisco 49ers this year, the game afterwards, they've lost. So if you're listening, maybe the Cleveland Browns are the right bet. Take that for Interesting. Wow, that's pretty so good. I'm not I didn't pay, know that. But, but getting back to Bridgewater in all seriousness, I'm not overly confident in how he's going to play. That's why if I'm the Dolphins, run the football, force the Patriot offense, which stinks, into some mistakes. Dolphin defense can be had in that secondary. But again, are the Patriots the team that's going to be able to take advantage of that? I'm not so sure. Well, that's that's a really good point because we've seen all season long when they play bad defenses, they haven't taken advantage of it outside of the Minnesota game, which they found a way to screw that up at the end. But speaking of that defense, so I, I was just looking at some of this. What has happened to Howard? He has the worst passer rating against if, uh, in terms of any qualified cornerback in the NFL. So that defense has not been great all season long. What's been their biggest issue? Uh, I don't want to make excuses for Howard but I'm going to make an excuse for him. He's clearly not 100%. Now, he's out there, Brian. Mm -hmm. So you can reference those numbers, and they're fair and they're accurate. And, you know, he was asked about making the Pro Bowl, and he was shocked, and he was like, to be honest with you, I don't deserve to be there. He's <laughs> right about that. He doesn't deserve to be there this year. He got there on name recognition and name recognition alone, but he got hurt early in the year. He has not been the same guy. They really miss Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones had that game-wrecking play. If you go back to week one, that was when they were running a lot of that cover zero stuff. They can't do that as much without having those two safeties there. So that's why they made the Bradley Chubb trade. He's been fine, but he's hurt. I don't even know if he's going to play going into this game. His hand was all wrapped up at the end of the Green Bay game. Miami's strength is their run defense and their front seven. They can get after the quarterback. They pressure you. They don't get sacks, which drives me insane because they will – they will penetrate. They will get into the backfield. They don't make enough difference-making plays, but they do a good job of stopping the run. The key is the secondary. The Miami secondary outside of Javon Holland is vulnerable. you got to be able to exploit it and make plays against it, especially those second and third corners. But again, does New England have the personnel to match up in this game? That's the question. And can Patricia coach it up? Not so sure about that. No, I mean, I can tell you that Patricia certainly can't coach it up. It's going to have to be about individual performances like we saw last week when Kendrick Bourne was making crazy plays to get them back in the football game. But you mentioned the run game where the Dolphins have been really good defensively. So we've seen a lot of teams naturally, JJ, this year, try to take away Ramondre Stevenson because he is their best offensive player, despite, of course, the massive fumble that he had last week. So do you think that the Dolphins have the capability of just taking Ramondre away? And I'm assuming their game plan is the same that we've seen for most teams. Try to make Mac beat you because what we've seen so far this year in those cases when the Patriots become predictable and they have to throw it, Mac really can't beat you. And it's not all on him. It's on the coaching, et cetera. But he hasn't proven he can beat you that way. I think the Dolphins do match up well from a run defense standpoint. They do. Um, I think you got to beat the Dolphins through the air. That's what I've seen teams do. The only team this year that really ran it down the Dolphins' throats was the Jets early in the year. And that was the Brees Hall game. Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, had a couple of guys go down in that game. I was at MetLife Stadium for that one. But for the most part, their run defense. You know where they struggle, Brian, from a run defense standpoint? The running quarterback. Mm. Like Justin Fields gave them fits. They couldn't stop Justin Fields. They obviously, like many teams, have trouble with Josh Allen and a lot of those quarterback keepers and what he provides from that standpoint. Mac Jones is not exactly going to run it like Justin Fields and Josh Allen. No. So that, to me, is where the run defense of the Miami Dolphins has been exploited. But there's a sense of physicality with Stevenson, so you got to be aware of that. He's a tremendous player.
Well, and speaking of Mac, I know you saw what he did last week where he tried to take out Eli Apple. He ends up getting fined last year. And did you see, um, I don't know if you noticed this, you probably didn't because you don't follow, you shouldn't, you're not a Dolphin fan, I am. Javon Holland subtweeted that and was very aware of that. So, <laughs> you know, let's let's put it this way. I guarantee you it was a topic of conversation amongst Dolphin defensive players. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I think it's going on around the league. Like people are talking about this. Remember, it happened with Brian Burns last year where Brian Burns, Mac just like pulled his leg after a fumble earlier this season when they were playing Chicago on Monday Night Football. He just like kicked his leg up at Brisker when he went for a slide. So I'm wondering, JJ, you worried at all with some of these Dolphins defenders that they could could get a cheap shot? He better be careful. I know he's a quarterback. I know the league protects quarterbacks. But when you have defensive players aware of this, and they are clearly aware of some of this dirty play that's going on with Mac Jones, there's a fumble, there's a pick, he's out there. If I were Mac Jones, get your ass to the sideline because you're <laughs> going to have 350, you know, big nose tackle coming at you, boom, looking to smash you right into the ground. And that's what's going to happen. I mean, guys around the league are going to be aware of that. Yeah, and well, you know what, JJ, like he's had to answer a lot of questions this year about a lot of different stuff. And in some ways, I do feel bad for him with all like the Patricia questions he gets, questions about the scheme. But I really thought this week he did a really poor job when he was asked about that whole situation in terms of the Eli Apple play. He wouldn't just come out and say, I was wrong for doing it. I apologize to Eli Apple. Like he wouldn't just say that. Like everybody knows that that was not a football play. That was a completely dirty play. And I didn't respect the fact at all that he couldn't just own that. I mean, at that point... You know what it is. It's a dirty play. You should just acknowledge it at that particular point in time and realize like, hey, you got to stop doing this shit. I mean, you're playing in a league with a bunch of guys that are competitive as hell, that are physical as hell. You can't do stuff like that. And it, it did irritate me. And I did lose a little bit of respect for Mac when he wouldn't just admit that he made a mistake. I mean, there's really no I don't know how he could possibly defend that. <laughs> it was blatant as hell. His excuse, JJ, was he was trying to clear him out for Tyquan Thornton. Who runs a four two eight and he's like ten on, yards man. in front of Eli Apple. Eli Apple's not catching him. But anyway, that was that was uh, an adventure to say the least this week, listening to Mac talk to the media. Hey, so before I let you go, I want to ask you about your Yankees. So they sign Aaron Judge, which was the number one priority. You've been telling me I was trying to jab you, saying, "Hey, he's going to look good in a Red Sox uniform." You kept telling, you kept laughing at me every time I said that. The Met you, fan was even worse. Don't worry, the Met oh, fan God. told me he was going to be a Met, and I didn't have to worry about. Were that. Were you scared so, about hallelujah. the Giants? Um, I wasn't until the day before he signed. The Heyman tweet, Austin yeah. Judge. That <laughs> yeah. was the moment, Brian, that was the moment where I kind of sat in my living room and I thought about being at opening day, Yankee Stadium, and I'm like, this guy is going to be going against the Yankees and I'm going to have to see this to start off 2023. This it just wouldn't have felt right. And like, I always felt all along, the Yankees, they're a business. They know their business. He is by far and away their most valuable commodity on and off the field. They couldn't lose him. Like that contract, as good a ball player as he is, and he's a phenomenal ball player, he's worth so much more to the Yankees. And listen, these contracts, they all suck. I mean, Brandon Nimmo got eight years, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Look at what Xander Bogart's got from the Padres. Correa, he can't even pass a physical and somebody's going to get know. 12 or 13 years. When he is your face of the franchise and you are the Yankees and you print money, you don't F with a guy like that. You don't fuck around with Aaron Judge. You sign no. Aaron Judge. So thankfully they did that. And I love Rodon. I am, we talked yeah. about this off air. I, I think he's an ascending pitcher. I think he's finally right. I think he's got a little edge and attitude to him, which I think is going to be a good fit alongside Garrett Cole. I think they're going to have a good thing going. I, you can make the argument. The Yankees going into this year have the best rotation in baseball. I really believe that because Cole, horse, Cortez, love him. He's the real deal. He's done it two years in a row. Rodon, injury concerns, but I love him. Severino, same thing. Stuff is nasty. And if this stiff Montez can be anything, that's not a bad fifth starter. I mean, I. but the Yankee lineup, it's status quo. That, to me, is where I have problems I think they're good. I think they're one of like five or six teams that could win a World Series, but I'm going to be skeptical until they go and do it. I'm sorry. I just Yeah, I love the Rodon signing for him. And I, I'm like, you, I don't care about the back end of the signing. You're trying to win a World Series. Like, go ahead and sign the guy. I wanted the Red Sox to sign this guy for two years. Seemed like they had no interest whatsoever. And they won't overpay, guys. That's the problem you have right now with the Red Sox. I mean, 
Bogarts is gone. The Red Sox have gotten worse this offseason. I look at the AL East like I love what the Blue Jays did, too. They go out, they get Bassett, put him in the rotation behind the two studs that you have, right? I mean, he's your third guy now. You're not counting on that. You're and Varshow, he's going to kill the Yankees. I'm already dreading that. Varshow is going to absolutely kill the Yankees. Um, Am I crazy? I think the Red Sox are the worst team in the American League East. Yeah, I guess it's between them and the Orioles and what the Orioles want to do, right? Like, because, I mean, you could see them if they start losing games. Maybe it gets even worse for them, but... Getting yeah. younger. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, can see that. Here's the problem I have with the Red Sox, JJ. I, I don't know what they're doing. Like, they sign a 38-year-old in Corey Kluber. They sign Justin Turner, which, fine, maybe he's a slight upgrade over J.D. Martinez. But you're doing all this stuff where you're signing older guys. You bring over Yoshida. You pay this guy over $100 million. Nobody else was even close to that in terms of the deal, which is fine if you really like the player. But if you're doing all this stuff, why wouldn't you bring back Xander Bogarts? That's, well, that's thing. what I don't understand. It's, and listen, thank, thankfully, and I know your audience isn't going to like to hear this, for a guy who I never wanted to see up in a big spot, who always seemed to have competitive at-bats against the Yankees, I am more than happy to know that Xander Bogarts is going to be on the West Coast and is not going to be my problem for the next decade. I want to ask you this, though. All right. Off topic, going back to the Patriots. Are you one of these Patriot fans that wants to see him crash and burn over the final two weeks? Like, I talked to Simmons. Simmons thinks they're losing a the game this week. I was surprised. I, I, I was... Uh, I, I was trying to consult oh, them on a I Patriot. get them winning. I get them winning. I, I think you're going to win, too. Uh, I do. I think your defense will win the game. I think Bill will find a way to win it. Uh, I'm just down on my team without Tua. If Tua played, I would like the Dolphins. He's not playing, so I like you guys. But do you want to see it get like embarrassing these last two weeks so you have more wholesale change, or you still like flirting with the idea that they can make the playoffs? Well, I think even if they get embarrassed in the final two weeks, I don't think you're going to see wholesale changes, right? Like, Mac's still going to be the quarterback next year. And the one thing I think that's going to happen is Patricia's going to be gone. I mean, that's the only thing that's going to be different. Now, he may so still... So Patricia like, out, Bill O'Brien in. That's yeah, what everybody's thinking? Yeah, okay. yeah. so maybe... I, I don't think Bill will fire Patricia. Like, I think he'll just get a different role within the organization. I mean, that's like his buddy. I mean, that's Make what, him like the tight ends coach or something. Oh, no, no, no. We got to get him away from the offense, man. <laughs> like, defense... Oh, so put him back on defense? Oh, so, man. Well, he's you got to let it go. Matt, let's, uh, Matt, let's go. Maybe send him to Saban School of Coaching. Send him to Bama. Yeah. No, my thing is Ernie Adams, like make him the new Ernie Adams, where he's just like up there, like he's studying all this stuff. That's what Ernie Adams did for all these years. He was the guy that would tell Bill like when to review things, although that could be scary for Patricia, too. Like he may screw that up. I mean, I wonder if there is a way to like keep him on the staff without paying him. Like, will he find out that he's not being paid? That's my hope for Patricia next year. All right. That is John Jastrzemski from New York, New York. JJ, my good buddy. JJ, thanks for stopping by, man. Have a great new year. And uh, I hope your Dolphins lose this week, man. I know you do. I know you do. Uh, I wish you nothing but the worst with your sports teams and nothing but the best with your podcast. Actually, I shouldn't say that. The Celtics and the Bruins, guys, uh, no beef. I have no issues. I have no All problems. Right. The Red Sox and the Patriots, no, I've seen enough. They could, uh, No wins for another decade, please. <laughs> Great stuff, JJ. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, bud. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Great stuff there from my buddy JJ. And make sure to tune into his podcast, New York, New York, especially after there's a bad loss for one of the New York teams, whether it's the Knicks, the Yankees, et cetera. Make sure you tune in then. All right, time now for the greatest Boston bet of the week, which is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. All right, so I'm going with the same game parlay in this Patriots-Dolphins game coming up on Sunday. So this is plus 434 to these for these three things to hit. The Patriots to cover the two and a half the Patriots to win the third quarter, and the Patriots to go over seven and a half points in the third quarter. All right, 
So let me address the third quarter stuff first. So the Patriots, and this is going to shock a lot of people. You ready for this? The Patriots averaged 6.9 points per game in the third quarter. Believe it or not, that is second in the NFL. Yes, the Patriots, like one of the worst offenses in the league. They are second in points per game in the third quarter. Now, they are helped by their defense, getting scores, etc. But the Chiefs are the only team that's putting up more points per game in the third quarter than the New England Patriots, which is crazy to think about, right? I think it's actually more about Bill than it is Patricia because he goes into the locker room and he says, hey, Matt, do this coming out of halftime. And he does it for a little while. It works. But then when he needs to make another adjustment, we all know Patricia can't do that. So I give Bill more of the credit. I don't give Patricia basically credit for anything, as you all know. So I like the third quarter for the Patriots. So I like those two in terms of the same game parlay. So now let's get to why I like the two and a half. Well, Mac Jones, if you look at his numbers on the season, we know they're not great. But one thing that sticks out to me is this Dolphins defense has not been good. So the Dolphins on the season, their pressure rate is 18th at 20.8%, which of course a little below average, but they're blitzing 31.9% of the time, which is the seventh most. And their sacks are at 37, which is tied for 12th. So they're blitzing a lot. They're not causing a lot of pressure and they're not an upper tier team in terms of sacking the quarterback. Well, what we know about Mac Jones is we chatted with Chris Mason earlier this week from MassLive.com. Mac has been atrocious against the blitz. 39th of 39 quarterbacks in terms of his completion percentage and his passer rating is dead last among qualifiers as well. And he's been bad against pressure as well. Mac, in terms of facing pressure, six interceptions tied for the second most. He's at 43% in terms of his completion percentage, which is 31st out of 36 qualifiers. And his passer rating is 36.2, which is 34th of 36 qualifiers, right? So Mac's been really bad against pressure. But here's the thing about this Dolphins team. They like to blitz, but they're not a good blitzing team this season. So even if you go back to week one where the Patriots faced off against this Dolphins team, Mac was four of seven against the blitz. Now, he did have an interception, so he did make that critical mistake, but he was only pressured on four of his dropbacks in the game. That's 12.1%, a season low for Mac, okay? And if you look at it in terms of the totality of the season, Tom Brady's the quarterback that faces the least pressure. He's at 19% of the season. Mac was at 12.1% in that game. No other quarterback besides Brady, by the way, is under 25%. So what that tells you is the Dolphins are going to try to blitz Mac a lot, but the problem is you have to get to Mac, right? You have to pressure Mac for it to be an issue in this game. So I don't think the Dolphins are going to get to Mac. Howard has not had a great season. Their secondary is not great. Their pass rush is not great. So I believe that Mac Jones is actually going to throw the ball with some level of consistency in this game coming up on Sunday. And the other part of the equation is this. They have to play Kendrick Bourne. Matt Patricia has no fucking choice. He has to play Bourne after what we saw last week. And we don't know the status of Devontae Parker going forward. But either way, if you don't play Bourne, you're in massive trouble. And we saw the difference that Bourne made in that football game. So that's another reason to be optimistic about Mac Jones at least playing relatively well in this game on Sunday. Now, the other reason I like the Patriots to cover this two and a half is Teddy Bridgewater doesn't fit into the Mike McDaniel offense, okay? Teddy Bridgewater may be really good for Tua. Veteran guy, been around the league, a lot of experiences, all that. But if you look at Teddy Bridgewater, and this is somewhat of a small sample size because he's only attempted 34 passes for Miami this year, but his time to throw is at 3.06 seconds, which is an eternity in the NFL. To put that into context, Justin Fields is last in the NFL at 3.39 there's only a couple of other quarterbacks that are over three seconds in terms of their time to throw in the season. That's Lamar, Justin Fields, as we mentioned, Marcus Mariota, Daniel Jones. All those guys are scramblers and they have designed runs. And the other guy is Zach Wilson, who's just the worst quarterback in the NFL. So it's all guys that are athletic, that extend plays, and a horrible guy in Zach Wilson. Okay, well, the problem with that is Teddy Bridgewater isn't a great athlete at the quarterback position. And secondarily, that's not what Mike McDaniel wants to do. Tua, for example, is at 2.53 seconds in terms of his time to throw compared to Bridgewater, who's at 3.06. Now, that 2.53 for Tua is the sixth best in the NFL, or the sixth quickest, I should say. And so what Mike McDaniel wants the quarterback to do is play point guard, get rid of the ball quickly. You look at Teddy, his career is at 2.83 compared to that Tua at 2.53, and it's been longer over the past couple of years for Teddy Bridgewater. So in terms of the identity of this offense, it's getting the ball out quickly. That's not how Teddy Bridgewater operates. The other thing you look at is two on the season, his average depth of target is 10.1. That's first among qualifiers. You look at Teddy Bridgewater for his career, he's at 7.7. So you're talking about Teddy wants to check it down and Teddy wants to hold on to the ball. Two is getting rid of the ball quickly 
and he'll throw into tight windows. He was actually the highest in the league last year as it pertains to tight window throws. Teddy doesn't want to take risk whatsoever, and he wants to hold on to the football. So that's the problem with this Mike McDaniel offense is Teddy Bridgewater doesn't fit. He doesn't like to throw the ball down the football field. He doesn't like to get rid of the ball quickly. Those are the two big elements to what Mike McDaniel has done to help Tua improve as a passer. So that's why I look at this team and I say, Teddy Bridgewater could be in massive trouble against the Patriots. The Patriots are second in pressure rate at 24.7%. They're getting pressure on quarterbacks in terms of their dropbacks. Well, if he's going to hold on to the football, he's a dead duck. The other component is the Patriots. They're cashing in when they get pressure, right? Unlike the Dolphins, 50 sacks on the season. That is second best in the NFL. So the Patriots are pressuring a lot and they're getting the quarterback down. And we're talking about the Judons, the Uches of the world, the Dietrich Wises of the world. So, yes, I'm worried about Hill. I'm worried about Waddle. And the Patriots are dealing with all these injuries in the secondary. Jack Jones is banged up. Marcus Jones, hopefully he can play. He's dealing with concussion protocol. You'd also like him for offense and special teams as well. The guy's a dynamic player for you. And Jalen Mills has been banged up. So that stuff concerns me. But when I look at that two and a half points, I really think Mac Jones is going to be able to throw the ball with some level of success. And secondarily, I look at Teddy Bridgewater and I really feel like the Patriots can expose him in this game. All right. I also want to get to this real quickly is this whole Josh McDaniel story has been crazy this week. So we all know that he benched Derek Carr and it's pretty obvious, right? Belichick, think about him. He hates quarterbacks that turn the football over. That's why he was so pissed with Mac at the beginning of the season. Derek Carr has 14 interceptions, most in the NFL. Josh McDaniel spent most of his career under Bill Belichick. That's going to irritate him. And he's been getting a ton of shit for this. Like everybody's sticking up for Derek Carr. McDaniels is getting all this crap. The numbers on Derek Carr are not good. He's completing 60.8% of his passes, 33rd of 37 qualifiers. His rating's at 84.6, which is 25th. And by the way, he's so soft. This guy's leaving the team so he won't be a distraction. To me, this is even more of a distraction. You're getting all this money and, oh, yeah, I'm just going to leave the team. I feel like I could be bad for the team. Well, you know what was bad for the team when you fucking sucked all year? That's what was bad for the team. Okay, so let me just get to this for a second. I'm not saying Josh is without blame here for what's gone down with the Raiders this year. Clearly is. They've blown the most halftime leads this season in the history of the NFL for a single season. So he certainly deserves blame. But enough with the defense is bad for Carr all these years. I I keep seeing this on Twitter. It's like, yeah, okay, that doesn't mean he also has to suck, right? So the other component is I would say, well, look at his contract. So if you decide to move on from after this year, you can get out with just a $5.6 million dead cap hit. Or if you bring him back, it's 34.8 against the cap. So if it's me, if I'm Josh McDaniels and I'm Dave Ziegler, who's of course came over from the Patriots as well, I'm going big game hunting. I'm going after Aaron Rodgers. I'm going after Tom Brady. Heck, Jimmy Garoppolo, the cap figure for him, not to say that's big game hunting. I'm not putting him in the category with Rodgers and Brady, but that's not going to cost you the same amount of money for Carr, and you could probably get very similar production. So I look at Josh and he's 17 and 26 as a head coach. That's what, a 395 winning percentage. So we have real questions if he's ever going to be good. But the Raiders can't fire Josh, right? The Raiders are not one of these wealthy NFL teams, right? They're not like the Los Angeles Rams. They cannot afford to fire him and then hire a new coach because they're still paying John Gruden. So if I'm Josh McDaniels, I would be doing the same thing. Derek Carr is not an elevator of a team. I have Devontae Adams, and I know Devontae Adams is upset, but you know when he won't be upset when he gets his old friend Aaron Rodgers or he gets Tom Brady back, okay? So, yeah, he can be mad right now. He's not going to be mad when you get him an upgrade over Derek Carr, even though those guys are great friends. So if this is my last opportunity, really, right? Because if Josh fails here, he's not going to be a head coach again at the NFL. So if I'm Josh, I'm saying, this guy's not going to get me over the hump. So, yeah, he may like him as a person, and we may not like the way it went down because Jarrett Stidham is going to be the starting quarterback for the Raiders. But this is a statement that they're in the market for a quarterback next year. And I don't know how anybody could argue that Derek Carr is the best fit there. What has Derek Carr ever done in his career that tells you this guy's going to be an elite level quarterback or a guy that can be somebody that takes you on a deep playoff run? We've seen no evidence of that whatsoever. Like, I hate all the excuse making for Derek Carr. Oh, Derek Carr, I saw Dan Orlovsky tweet, somebody's going to get a top 12 quarterback next year. What does that even mean? A top 12 quarterback? Like, okay, so he's going to be somewhere between 10 and 12, maybe. He may be worse than 12 next year. So you're telling us he can't be a top 10. So, okay, let's have a $34.8 million cap pit for a guy that's never going to be in the top 10, according to your tweet. Like, I just don't understand the defense of Derek Carr. Oh, he's had all these bad defenses. Okay, that doesn't mean he has to be horrible. All right. 
Tom Brady had the worst defense in the NFL one season, and he took the team to the Super Bowl. If I'm Josh McDaniels, I know this guy's not getting me there, especially in a division with Herbert and Pat Mahomes. Go upgrade the quarterback position. So, look, I'm not saying that Josh McDaniels is going to be a great coach, but he made the right decision here. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in. 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.